Welcome once again to the Get Real Podcast. I'm non-Pastor Dan. And this is Unpastor Glenn. We want to welcome you today. we got a special treat. We have an old friend, Steve Rotramble. Steve, how long has it been? I, I haven't seen you in, oh my goodness, how long has it been? We were way thinner and better looking then. Uh, it's been at least 20 years, Dan. Wow, <laughs> 20 years. I was a good looking guy back then. I I don't know about Glenn, but uh, I was a handsome dude. I still am. So. Oh, okay. All right. No, that's that's all fun. Steve, it's great to have you with us. Um, we talked with you um, for about, I guess it was at least an hour. At least an hour. Okay. A few weeks ago, before the hurricane debacle yep. and um, a couple of things that I had going on, we were able to talk to you about some things that had happened in your past, some things that God was hashing out in you and that you were kind of working out, and you're writing a book. Tell us a little bit about your book. So the name of my book is Why God Created the Universe and Why There is Evil in It. Nice, uh, easy coffee table subjects. Very easy. (laughs) Real simple. (laughs) Yeah, why don't we start off with some chit-chat, you know? (laughs) Nothing like small talk to to set the tone for the universe. I get it. Right, right. Well, you know, when you're trying to figure things out and you're trying to get answers for, you know, why things are going on in your life, and that's kind of where I started. And one thing leads to another. And when we're talking about the God who created the universe— and we're wondering why he is allowing certain things to happen and why is my life going this way or that way, those uh, questions emerge from that process of trying to get answers. Well, I know we were joking around with you about the depth of the subject matter, but really, to be honest, it's actually a very fundamental question. I think that pretty much anybody in humanity that has a draw to consider things internal and eternal and origins and good and evil deals with that kind of rudiment, you know, in their soul to try to figure out what reality is. So it's it's profound, but I think it's rather um, fundamental at the same time. One of the points that I was hoping to make today, and I'm glad you, you, you broached it already, is that, you know, you know, both of us, I mean, all three of us, and, and this is how we kind of got to know each other. We were part of a church that had a little bit of a different way, or we would say a profoundly different way of looking at things than the normal Christian experience. That's the sweetest way I've ever heard a Christian that was, cult that described. Is, that is very, very nicely put. Yeah, I talk about diplomacy. I, I, we're going to send you a trophy. No, good. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but comic comic relief is a weakness for both of us. <laughs> Well, it's kind of true, and, it, and, and the thing of it is, is that in our Christian walk, we each have our own understanding of what is supposed to happen once we become Christians and followers of God, and we, and we kind of think, well, now our lives are going to be good, and our lives are going to be easy, and our lives are, all of my questions are answered. Well, very quickly, we find out that that's not the case. And we find out that there are still really bad things that happen, not the least of which is we're still sinning. And that and that is just a, a terrible thing to live with. And so it's easy for us then to think, well, I, I, there's something I'm missing. I, you know, there's something else. I got to go somewhere else. I have to seek a different leader. I have to do this. I have to do that. And when they have a completely different approach, you think, ah, ah, this is it. This is what I was missing. Hmm. And in each case, you know, you find out, well, you know, maybe that wasn't it after all. And one of the points I want to make is that, yeah, what we're going to be talking about today is probably stuff that most people have never heard. 
But what I have found as I've been going through this process is that it rings true with every part of the scripture. We are not asking anybody to throw out everything that they know and pick up something new. This is, this is something new, but it, but it lines up, it's congruous with what we've been taught. The fundamentals of the scripture line up perfectly with what we're talking about today. Let me, get, let me interject for a moment. So to personalize that, what I hear you saying is that you come to an understanding and a revelation about the things of God. You feel like you come to a point of experience where belief and faith take root, that you're celebrating even your walk with God. But yet, even though that takes place, there's still these these greatly flawed, painful, um, doubtful uh, issues. And then the tendency would be to go from uh, a church or a leader or perhaps a vein of doctrine and to move from one to another, or as sometimes probably in the negative, a group think, okay, right. an, exclu- an exclusivity, a, a, a particular psychological or, or some sort of bent, okay, and to go from one to another only to yet have the, this nagging, unsettled thing still going on in your soul. That's what I kind of hear. Can you personalize that? I can remember the, distinctly, I can remember the very first time that I was, you know, I'd gotten by myself and I was, I was still a, a young person at the time. I think I was probably in eighth grade or ninth grade. And I was, I, I had thought, you know, once I get saved, once I become a believer, well, now I'm not going to sin anymore. I understand that sin is evil, and I understand that God is not pleased with that. And there's nothing in me that wants anything more than to please God with every part of my life. And I remember reading, and I was reading about the Spirit, and I thought, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's the thing I've been missing. And it was so clear to me that all I have to do is to rely on the Spirit moment by moment, And I'm never going to sin again for the rest of my life. And I remember praying that prayer and making that commitment and saying, God, I'm never going to sin again. I love you. I know you love me. Now I know. Now I know how to do this. I didn't know it before, and that's why I was sinning. But now I know. At that particular point in time that you're describing, was that something you felt to do out of a compulsion to maintain righteousness, uh, for example, a fear of uh, eternal consequences, or was your doctrine of such that you felt accepted by God, but you felt like you were disappointing your father? I did not feel rejected at the time. I just felt like I did not want to sin anymore. It was it was the cycle of guilt, right? I felt so guilty about what, you know, whatever sin that I that, that could befall me at the time. And I just felt guilty about it. I knew that this wasn't what God wanted. And I wanted to get rid of those feelings. I wanted to feel good and happy and loved and successful and in his presence all the time. So believing that, Steve, how did you how did you feel when you first blew it after believing that? It's just devastating. You're just like, oh, you know, I'm I'm hopeless uh, I, there's no hope for me. I, I can't do it right. I don't know what it is. I, I believe all of this stuff. And remember, I was just a kid at the time, but I can transfer that all the way 
into my, you know, 30s and 40s and 50s, all the same thing. I mean, still having that same cycle of failure uh, personally uh, and thinking that I'm doing something wrong. And so my my tenure at at the at the church that we all attended uh, coincided with some other things that I had established in my life and, and in my family's life that I felt was going to give us the best chance of living the most righteous life, avoiding evil as much as possible and stepping into then that sort of promised land that I had in my mind that God wants for every Christian, this life of joy and happiness and prosperity and peace and good health and happiness and all of that in an unending supply, unbroken. And uh, what I found was is that um, I am still a sinner and that, the, that those sins, you know, have, have consequences and that my understanding had to be flawed uh, uh, somehow. There had to be something wrong in there or whatever. You know, there, there was a time in my life, and I'm, I'm not sure if you guys are pressing on into that, but there was a time in my life where I really felt like and found that this is it. This is, you know, I, I have stepped into that. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and, and it seemed like everything in my, my life pretty well had been worked out. And and I was experiencing the uh, the life that I had envisioned. And uh, interesting, interestingly enough, it was at a moment as well in my uh, church life, you might say, where I had returned to where I had started and I had put aside all of these other uh, efforts and programs and uh, what have you that that, you know, that other pastors, other leaders or whatever had, you know, designed to, to attract people and to um, uh, help them on that road that, that turned out to be not so successful. I would, Steve, I'd like to unpack that briefly. What I hear you describing is there was kind of a plateau of maturity. There was a, a point at which in your mind you had thought like, whoa, I got to work on this. I got to get this out of my life. I got to do better. I got to be better. I got to draw closer to the Lord. And then at at a particular point, you kind of had this blissful um, arrival or contentment. Okay. Yeah. And I can tell you what happened that it coincided. There was an event that that coincided with that. There was, um, there's this uh, weekend retreat for adults. It's called Walk to Emmaus. And it's run by the Methodist Church. Well, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, Sarah, signed me up for it, right, without me knowing it. <laughs> and, and when I found out, I first thing I thought, brothers, to my shame, I thought, well, what am I going to learn from a Methodist? <laughs> uh, yeah, little did I know. Well, so very, very reluctantly, I, I went, I attended. But I, but I was thinking... You know, I know more about the Bible than any of you guys here. Right? I know this and I know that. And I've been through the ringer and you guys don't know this yet. But I don't think there's anything new that you're going to tell me. I just don't believe it. So what'd you get? What happened? I got love. I got loved. I got loved. I mean, that whole thing is about uh, helping people to understand the depth and the breadth of God's love for them. To interject something briefly, when I hear you talking about that 
point in your walk where you kind of hit that plateau, you're sort of thinking, I remember very well, because I was in high school, I think I got saved before then, you know, but it actually came real to me when I was like 15, 16, and um, I, I really had an experience with the Lord, but I remember not far at, away from that point of conversion that I started to feel very tempted I started to fall in certain temptations. I started to mess up. And I really sat there and said, whoa, what was all that talk about everything being new? What was all that talk about being a brand new creature? I feel like stale saltines, man. I don't feel like this uh, this fresh fruit salad of achievement. And um, that was a military pun for those of you. That said. Okay. But, you know, I didn't feel like I was really making it and advancing. I felt somewhat despondent because I said, what is the difference between me and the me before? And there def- definitely was in the area of love. And there definitely was in the area of sensitivity and looking towards my fellow man, looking to lost people, looking to all this. But I remember there was this one scripture that I want to share real quickly that I sat there and over and over, I was like, what is the trick? What is the angle? What what do I do to refine this down so that I'm pleasing to God? I, because I watched a, a certain person, one of the pastors of um, that that church that will not be named, and we all we all love him, okay. And this guy, he was always trying to strive, yes, and do better, yep. and be more, and be better. And I remember going, God, this is a nagging question that I had. And I went on my doctrinal journey, and this one scripture in Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen, it says, "But when we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to." glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. And I remember when I saw that, um, it was actually in a prophetic journal that I was reading at the time, which in hindsight was a little weird. But when I saw that verse, I freaked out because for once I saw that, whoa, it's not necessarily based off of my continued striving and achievement. Okay. I can do that to make sure that I release, but it's in my looking upon God, in my fellowship with God, in the trueness of me looking at him, that there's almost this passive transformation as reflecting in a mirror. When we are walking in the love of Christ and in the fellowship of the believers, we have a very, very, it's not that we're ever going to just get it perfect every day, but that's when we have the power over uh, the, the, the troubles that befall us. That's when we can look at those troubles around us and just say, hey, you know, and you're, you're basically you're unaffected. It's, it's not like you're again, you're, you know, you're not uh, turned into a perfect robot. But those are the times when we we walk joyfully in God's presence and we find ourselves feeling and experiencing the freedom that God intended for us to have. So Steve, yep. here, here's the big question. The 64, yes, $64,000 question. Cause <laughs> we know you can't afford a million dollars. So 60, we're right, gonna, right. We're gonna no whammies, no whammies. <laughs> why is there evil in the world? And why does God allow bad things to happen? In my sort of journey, what I found after, after a few years, you know, and I was experiencing all of this, great uh success and and in every part financially and family and friends and church and depth of understanding and all of that stuff and yet 
there's still this uh, nagging reality of evil in the world. And I was beginning to see it manifested more. I, I was more offended by the manifestation of evil that I saw in other people's lives, looking at myself and saying, I don't deserve this. I, I had a profound sense that what all these blessings I was getting from God, I absolutely did not deserve. And I actually began to start being offended uh, by that and really kind of, in a sense, being angry uh, toward God. And so, you know, why? Why do you keep letting this happen? Why Why is this happen? Why does that happen? I did have sort of a Calvinist uh, view and approach to uh, my understanding of God. And, and that would mean that, you know, sort of everything is determined by God. And so, you know, I, I, I began to be offended by why um, uh, there's, there's specific evils. Why does God allow these specific evils in when he already knew? He already knew this was going to happen. He knew there. He determined their actions. Um, and so just, just to sort of uh, jump the gun a little bit, I will say I don't believe that anymore. But but what I did is I began to take a really deep dive, and, and this was then uh, initiated by uh, some other events. Uh, my whole world uh, changed uh, uh, significantly. It wasn't an abrupt change. It was slow. Uh, but to just say it frankly, I mean, I just basically lost everything that I had had and found myself uh, alone. And, and, and not ultimately, I mean, my kids still love me and, uh, and all of that, but everything just kind of fell apart. And what I did was, and I'm not avoiding the question, Glenn, I, I promise I'll, I'll swerve right back around to it. Uh, but it wasn't it, like that was an easy question. Uh, it, that's why it's sixty-four thousand yeah. dollars question. And it make a yeah, good, exactly. Make a good book title, probably. Yeah. Is what exactly, exactly. Well, so the, the the funny thing is, is we could ask. You could go up and ask an eight-year-old kid, and you ask him, "Why is there evil in the world?" And they're going to give you the right answer. They're going to say because people do bad things, <laughs> right? Okay. And this this kind of ties in what I said earlier about. Um, you know, this isn't all new stuff. I mean, it may be a new understanding, but it ties in. It's easily appreciated. And our uh, our our instincts, our intuitions easily buy into it. OK, so so let's say, why did why is there evil? Why does God allow evil? Well, so this addresses what's commonly known as the problem of evil. The problem of evil goes all the way back to Epicurus. It was first written down, uh, the Greek philosophers and so on. And it has a three-point question. If God is all-loving, if God is all-powerful, and if God is all-knowing, why then is there evil? This is the question that we ask today. It's the question that shows up in all of these, uh, the, the, the music that we're talking about, uh -huh. um, the, the, the sort of despairing view of the world. And is, is, you know, why does God allow, if there is a God, why does he allow this to happen? And so the logical problem of evil is often used by atheists to say there is no God. Because we can't logically uh, put the two in the same space, right? If God is all-knowing, 
that he knows every instance of evil. If he's all loving, he would prevent every instance of evil. If he's all powerful, then he would be able to prevent every instance of evil. Steve, okay? quick, quick clarification. Let me yes, ask sir. this. Can you define evil and what it, what is kind of the, the, the basis of that definition as it applies to different segments of understanding? Because the Judeo-Christian and the born-again Christian understanding of evil perhaps might differ from some of those other... other um, that was a good question, Glenn. I'll tell you what. Give me High five. Every once high in five. a while. Every... Every once in a while, I'm, I'm telling you. There's smoke coming out. There's smoke. I, this, I need to go get a fire extinguisher. That's a great question. And it's funny you would you would bring it up. I was, uh, you know, I was recently watching a, a show that was, you know, all about evil. And one thing they never did, it was all about the question of evil. And one thing that they never did was define it. So it's an awesome question. So to, in order to define evil, first of all, let's say this. Evil is not a thing. Okay, there is nothing that we can point to. We can't go to the grocery store and pick up a bag of evil. Okay, (laughs) so uh, it it is not a substantive thing. Okay, it's nothing. Um, And so the only way to define evil is against the backdrop of good. And so when we define good, and this is where uh, the moral argument, and I might mention some of these, and I know, uh, you know, it, it may not make a whole lot of sense. But for those who are familiar, the moral argument for the existence of God says that without God, we have no basis for defining anything as being good. But with God, we can say with confidence that God is the, the nature of God is the definition of good, that he is all loving, that he's all kind, that he's all all of those things. That is good. And so we would say, and you can see that any diminishment, anything that diminishes, obscures, uh, is contrary to God's good, then is evil by definition. And so evil would be anything that is diminishes the goodness that is represented, is defined, is uh, offered to us in the form of God and who God is. To me, ask the question again, Glenn. Why is there evil in the world? I would answer it short answer right now listening because of mercy. Because when I'm hearing his definition about evil... That is me. Yep. That is you. That that that's our friends. That's our family. That's me at my de- best moment. Yep. I block. I inhibit my ego, my selfishness, my my all of these different things obscure the light of God's glory in the earth. So without Him being merciful, if He got rid of all evil, that means that me and you, I, I'm I'm done. That's no. right. That's totally right, and that follows perfectly with the continued definition of why there is evil. Um, and we can say it this way, uh, and and you know, I'll swerve back around to the sort of meta uh, reason for this or the overlying reason of this. Well, let's first of all let's say what would be most good. What would be the most good? Um, and I have uh, formulated uh, a couple of things uh, to help uh, with our understanding of this. But let's put it this way: 
I would say that it is immeasurably good, immeasurably good for an intelligent free will being to live eternally in full, intimate, knowledgeable fellowship with God and with other free will beings. So this sort of gets to the underlying reason why God would create people, why God would create other beings uh, in the first place. It is immeasurably good for us to live together forever with God. Full, okay. knowledgeable, intimate relationship. This gives but not but not a forced relationship, correct? Not a forced relationship. This is and that gets to the problem. See, there is something called the problem of evil, and this is what people try to use to disprove that God exists. Um, and, and in my, I, I've come up with something that I call uh, God's problem of evil. Okay, it's a very different thing. God's problem of evil is that when he creates any and all, each and every other free will person, that is suitable for relationship with him, the possibility of evil comes into existence at the very same moment. This is God's problem of evil. He cannot... Can you say that again? Can sure. you say that one more time, that's that deep. last statement? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When God creates any, each, and every other free will, moral agent, person, that is suitable for relationship with him. And that's a key point, suitable for relationship. Okay. Uh, that entails some things. But at the point that he creates that other person, the, the, uh, the possibility of evil comes into existence at that same moment. He gives them, he gives them the right and the freedom to choose whether they're going to have that relationship with him or not. And there is a possibility that they are going to choose wrongly. <laughs> and so when we say, you know, this gets into uh, some, some metaphysical realities about God. For example, um, we know from the scripture that God cannot deny himself. Okay, so this right. this puts a limit on when 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 we say that God is all powerful and he can do all things. Well, we have to qualify that a little bit because God cannot uh, deny himself. He cannot deny who he is. He cannot deny his nature. This gives us some comfort. This gives us the comfort of knowing that God is, you know, God is this logical being. We don't have to believe something that is illogical. And so, you know, when somebody asks you, this is kind of an old kind of a silly objection, but they would say, you know, a person would say, can God create a rock that he cannot lift? And some people really believe that's a good argument. All it is, is it's a, it's a logical incongruity. It's an absurdity and it makes no sense. It's not a question. Can we say that God could create a square circle? No. Okay. We can relax. <laughs> there's no uh, there's no sort of flim flam here that says, well, yeah, God could create a square circle. This is uh, the law of identity. And the law of identity is that things are what they are and they can't be something else if that's what they are. You can't be married and a bachelor at the same time. 
Right. Which I would see as more of a contradiction of the substance rather than some inability that God would have. Because it's it's always an it's an uncomfortable position to ever say that God can't. Because it's almost like if he said, I want to change the nature and the dimension of what we would define as a circle or a square or whatever, he's able in whatever way did I don't know that's that's a point of discomfort for me anytime I utter it or think about it which I understand what you're saying that the nature of what we understand as a circle is a circle and that God is not going to deny who he is because he's already proclaimed himself as being truth and as being being that so uh, inter- interesting concepts interesting God cannot deny himself and he cannot do evil he cannot he just can't why does God allow Satan or how does Satan figure into this picture and why does God even allow him still into the throne room to talk in God's contemplation right because we could say before God created this universe before he created the uh, the spiritual universe God could have created any universe. He cre- he could have created any possible, any logically possible universe, but he picked this one. And this one includes Satan. And God knew beforehand. He knew. In fact, Jesus said Satan was a liar from the beginning and a murderer. From the beginning. Brain-breaking interjection. Did Satan have similar free moral, or Lucifer, did Lucifer have similar free moral agency, or was he, his role was cast, perhaps as a vessel of wrath, perhaps as an accessory? Is he a prop? I would explain it this way. We have, uh, we've talked briefly about Calvinism and Armenianism and so on. Well, there's another ism out there, and it's called Molinism. And Molinism was uh, something that a, a thought, uh, school of thought that uh, a, a, a friar, a Dominican friar by the name of Molina. And he said that whereas we have perfect free will, Okay, and I would say perfect. I mean, I don't mean perfect in the sense that it approaches God's perfection. But I mean that we really do have free will. That is not in spite of the fact or in spite of the fact that God already knows. And he knew when he created us. That does not mean that he determined what we were going to do. Does that make sense? And so that's like saying, uh, you know, I've heard uh, one of the teachers or one of the guys, William Lane Craig is a philosopher and a theologian and a very, very uh, uh, profoundly beneficial person to God's kingdom. But the way he says it, he's like, if I go up to my wife and I offer her a plate of Brussels sprouts and a plate of brownies, I know which one she's going to pick. Okay. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Right. Okay. I'm not determining what she's going to pick. And so I would say that God, in looking at all the possible universes that he could create, he created the one that did include Lucifer, who became Satan, knowing that he was going to be the father of evil. And knowing that he was going to um, come against him and, and 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 lead a rebellion in heaven and get cast to the earth and be a stumbling block to everyone ever since. So why would he do that? Based on what we've already discussed about the um, uh, the entailment of 
the possibility of evil. God could have looked at all of these universes that he could possibly create and decree to instantiate or to bring to pass this universe because this universe allows him to defeat forever the works of Satan. You know, it says in 1 John 6, 38, somewhere, 1 John somewhere, that Christ appeared in order to defeat the works of Satan. Do we want to know why Christ came? That was it. Satan, I mean, Christ appeared to defeat the works of Satan. This started all the way back. The works of Satan, what this is representative of evil run amok. And in this gives God context, or this God gives God the opportunity to defeat that, defeat sin, defeat death, defeat uh, uh, evil in every form eternally. And at the same time, bring to pass this group of saints to live with him forever in eternity in full, knowledgeable relationship. We are, let's say, you ever wondered what's going to happen like when we get to heaven? What's going to be the fundamental change that's going to keep me from sinning? Is it just going to be that now I'm going to turn into the robot that serves God always and has no possibility of sinning? Is that what's going to happen? Are, are we question. suddenly going to be without the free will that we've had all this time? Well, let me ask you this, gentlemen. Is there any chance on this planet that you are going to drive to your home on Thanksgiving and murder your mother? Is there any chance that you're going to take your neighbor's dog and kill it and roast it on his front yard and have it for Thanksgiving dinner? Dog is tough. I, I don't really care. <laughs> and, and and let me offer and say that in heaven, any thought of any sin would be that same magnitude. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. I've I'm never thought of right? a lot of that. And it, for the sake of our listeners, we have a very varied audience. A lot of them are not churchgoers. A lot of them most likely have never heard the fundamentals. And a lot of the things we're talking about, you may be like, wow, what's going on? And we all three have got an understanding and a backdrop that I think is very important. And mm -hmm. excuse me, Steve, I'm just going to, for the sake of them, I'm going to um, unpack just something small here. Absolutely. Um, that when scripturally, if you start reading the Bible, you're going to get a quick understanding about something extremely important and fundamental to your understanding of everything that we've been talking about. And it's called the fall of man. And you have to understand the fall was not a little trip. It was not a little stumble. It was literally an atomic bomb blast, okay, that reconfigured everything about the human psyche, the human spirit, the, the, the nature, thorns nature. and thistles. Everything about the world that we live in was completely turned upside down from what it had been previous after the fall and after what was conceived in Lucifer's heart. There's a lot of things we haven't been told. There's a lot of this is always going to be conjecture. But we do know, like what Steve has been highlighting so effectively, has been that relationship, God's glory, his mm -hmm. eternal purpose, 
his gathering of a remnant, a family remnant around himself for yes. all eternity, those fundamentals, we know it's got something to do with that. All the details, all the backdrop, we don't know. But I definitely, for those of you that are listening, that are unchurched, you're not religious, you don't even know whether you believe in God, hopefully you've come into that foyer, which Glenn and I talk about, Mm -hmm. referring to um, kind of noble agnosticism, which you're sitting there going, I'd like to know more. I have these questions. I like heavy metal. I like, and the heavy metal is that psyche, that drive to, to know, to know these questions. You've got to understand, this is a fallen, messed up world where the Bible says that the very best person on it, on their best day, saying their most wonderful thing, it says that the poison of asps is upon their tongue, that their mouth and their throat is an open sepulcher, that everything that they do is disgusting, it's equated into dirty rags, okay, I won't go further than that. So the fall is huge. And there's so much false doctrine, this happy-pappy, everything's going to go great for me and Steve and for Glenn. And boy, if we just do these right things and whisper a couple of prayers, we're going to be healthy, wise. And everything that the that the devil promised the Lord when the Lord was on that mountain under temptation. Yes. Yeah, you know, that's, that's right. what these false preachers preach. They say, hey, uh, if you do this little thing, if you send me a check, if you do this, then I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you the whole world. I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you all this stuff. And it's simply not true. And it wasn't true in the lives of the the apostles. It wasn't true with David. David was really messed up. Peter was really messed up. Paul was really totally messed, messed up. up. And that's the message and the resonance of hope that we want to give to you. These questions are fascinating. I can't wait to read Steve's book. I really can't. Yeah. And 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 these some of these questions will stretch your brain. It sounds like we're all sharing a bong. You know, sometimes <laughs> we're not. We're not. Just just for our but, listeners, but, we're not. But I'm riveted. I I tend to err, and I think Glenn probably does too. A little more on the the side of Calvinism. Uh, frankly, because I, I dealt with so much Arminianism in my college years, so much work, so much scrutiny of individual behaviors and this or that, that I was like, you know what? If it depends on how good I can hash this out, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And not only me, but everybody's going to be dead. And I, I lean more. Every time I read Romans chapter 9, I'm convinced that God's a Calvinist. And then maybe he sprinkles it with some Molinism. But so I'm kind of on the other side of it. But I just, I wanted to clarify that just because we have listeners from all backgrounds, people that have heard the gospel, people that think we're nuts, but find us funny and interesting, hopefully, um, on occasion. But I, I really do. This is so thought provoking, isn't it, Glenn? It I mean, is. It's amazing. It really is. So Steve, I want to help out our listeners here a little bit because you, you, me and Dan, we understand that this life that we live right now is a training ground for eternity. A lot, of, a lot of people have this misconception that when they die, if they go to heaven, that they're going to be floating around on a cloud with a harp and their butt sticking up in the air <laughs> like a little cherub. And they're going to be doing nothing. Yeah, right, right. Dan and I were talking about this last night, is that when the end comes, the earth is not going to blow up. It's going to be recreated. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And those of us that have gone on to our reward are the ones that are going to be here still ministering to a broken humanity. Um, What I believe is is going to be our ultimate uh, destination and our ultimate uh, function in heaven. Exactly as you're saying, we have uh increased responsibilities you know there's a passage in the scripture where paul says don't you know that we're going to judge angels 
Does that blow the top off of your head? Yeah, because right now the way we are on the pecking the the food chain is the angel is a little bit higher than us. But at that point, see, I see this time on this earth as preparation. We are a race of priests and kings and leaders and rulers. The Bible says that we will rule and reign with Christ over. Now, see, you know, my book is about why God created the universe. I should say why God created this universe, right? Because there Mm -hmm. will be more. (laughs) And I think that, you know, when the Bible says that we can't even imagine the things that God has in store for us, it is um, remarkably relevant responsibilities. Which is kind of scary because I have to leave the house like three times before I remember my cell phone and my keys and everything else. I'm going to be judging right. angels. Are you right. kidding me? Right. And so this this life, uh, this life that we're living now, that there's there is a purpose for this. There is a purpose for everything that happens, whether it be good or evil, and it is to prepare us for that position and those functions that we will occupy. Uh, after this life, which we'll step right into, and God will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or he'll say, you know, like in his letters to the churches, I have this against you, mm-hmm. right? And we'll be able to step into that function right. and be able to uh, be able to do that. And so we were talking about why God allows evil, and we covered the point that evil is an entailment, okay? An entailment means that it's unavoidable. Okay, an entailment means that if God wants suitable beings, suitable for relationship with him. And I keep going back and saying that word. Well, suitability, that's mentioned in Genesis when God created Adam. And he said, uh, you know, we've created this man in our image and now he's alone on the world. And we need he needs he needs a suitable companion. This means a companion that he can have the fullest, most deeply loving relationship with that's possible. And so he gave Adam, the man, a woman, Eve. And Eve had all of those characteristics that she needed to be able to be a suitable companion to Adam. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to unpack all of this, but, but only to say that, yeah, God could have created creatures that never sinned, that did not have that propensity or did not have that capacity or ability to, uh, disobey him. He could have created, but that would have impinged upon that person's freedom. Now, there's a question that I ask when I'm giving talks and I, or whatever, I'm with, uh, with other people, and I'll just ask it as food for thought. If you had a pill, we'll call it a love pill. So you have this love pill, and you can give it to your significant other. And if your significant other takes this pill, they will, they will love you with their full heart always forever. They would. I think they call that ecstasy. <laughs> yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> but that wears off. This doesn't wear off. Okay? Oh, okay. Yeah. This is the this one is that the doesn't one wear that off. Never okay. wears off. So, 
I shouldn't have said that. So this other person now is going to love you without reservation. They're always going to put you first. They're always going to be concerned about your best. They are going to love you with their whole heart. They would never think of looking outside of that relationship. It was just, it's off the table. Okay, this is permanent and it's comprehensive and there are no deviations from it. They will love you forever. Are you going to put that pill in their soup? Because here's the question then, from then on, when they love you, it's the pill. Exactly. I I think it's two-sided. If you violate the free moral agency, there's two sides of that coin because then you're going to violate this loving, affectionate, eternal relationship because it wasn't really based off free moral agency. It was like an autonomous robot obeying the three laws, you know, Isaac Amzabob doing its little thing, stuck in some some program. But it's it's on the other side of rejecting. So it's almost you have to have evil, the ability to reject, the ability to overshadow the glory of God, the ability to go the other direction in order to have true oneness of fellowship without it being robotic. It's funny. I've only ever had one person. I would ask people that, you know, are you going to give them the pill? And nobody ever says yes, except one woman. She goes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I would do it. Yes, I would do it. Oh, that's a very honest. At least she's being honest. So, so Steve, quick, quick question here. While we're talking about evil, the presence of evil and the necessity of evil. My next question for you is. I sent you the lyrics to the Beyond the Black song, My God is Dead. And you you had a chance to look at that. What are your insights on that song? What are you feeling and sensing from that song? It's incredibly relevant, uh, what this person is, and and the other one as well. Um, From what she's communicating in those lyrics is that she looks around at the circumstances of her life reviewing it within the context of saying you know this was this was not what i expected and i this is not what i thought was going to happen what i thought was going to happen is that i have a loving god who's going to take care of me what i thought was going to happen is that my loving god is going to put me into a protected sort of surrounding and and that things are going to work out well and and that that love is going to win that love and life and goodness and happiness and joy, that these are the things that are going to be my experience. And that's not what I'm experiencing. And what I'm experiencing, I don't deserve. I did not deserve to get what I'm getting. And where is my God who's supposed to be loving me? And where is my God that's supposed to be taking care of me? My God is dead. That's powerful. When you put when you put it that when you put it that way, Steve, it, that adds a whole different level of power to that song. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sitting here and it, it, I'm starting to tear in my eyes just with the way that you're saying that, and that what power and what reality because. A lot of people think that. A lot of people are there. That's where they're at. And to me, that is more spiritual and closer to the door of heaven 
than the guy who's just rolling around in his sports car on Sunday morning saying, oh, I checked the box and I went to church. Now I'm going to go uh, get my buffet dinner with my family, check the box. And then on Monday, I'm just going to go do whatever the heck I want and not think about church or God at all. Here you have an expression of somebody that's thinking about God, thinking about these bigger questions. Oh, what does God have in store for her? Well, you know, I think the weakness of our humanity oftentimes makes us improperly value and weight the brevity of our own mortal experience. What I mean is is basically... We're here in the here and now. We we are sensually perceiving life and and things to come. But if you look at even the concept of eternity, is so enormous. Can you imagine that in eternity, looking back upon how brief this quick spark, the flash in the pan, is? At one little segment of that, of pain, is it a finger prick? The worst tragedy that would ever happen? I, I don't know. And we, we also, because we're talking about the reality that there is eternal damnation and that there is, That's I don't want reality. to miss the point. We're not universalists that just believe it's all going to work out right just for everybody. There's nothing in the scripture that says that. There's nothing in human experience that suggests that's the way that it happens. And um, so there, there is a God that we need to know. And we need to know and receive salvation. But also when people I hear in that song, I hear almost in that walk and in that experience in adolescence. And I don't mean an adolescence humanly. I mean an adolescence of that being dealing with the scope being limited like an adolescent right. or like a child. And if they would sit there and to meditate on eternity and think that, whoa. Um, that's, that's nothing because that's going to be nothing whether that person were to perish and we pray not. It'd be nothing. That would be her best time ever. Being, being gloomy and feeling like God didn't exist or whatever. Com- so comparatively, I really think that eternity versus the, the, the brevity of mortality can put some of this evil and some of the, well, God, how could God allow this stuff to happen when this stuff is going to be mild in hindsight? There's no way that it cannot be mild. Her perspective within the context that she's looking at this and her current understanding, she's saying, all I did was get born. That was it. And I wasn't even in charge of that. And and what I am experiencing in my life is to her at that time, for that brief time, as you're saying, Dan, feels like nothing but evil. It feels like at every turn that I look, Uh, I am being assailed with evil. And so the question is, then, is why does God allow that to happen? What is the argument? And if we go back and look and mention, we talked about Satan a little bit. What is Satan's program? Why is he doing this? What is this? What is this? So God, so Satan's argument before God is this. Satan's argument before God is, I am exactly what you created. Nothing more, nothing less. So if I am exactly what you created, then, therefore, if, then, therefore, how could anything evil fall from the fingers of God? How can you hold me responsible for what you created? Right? 
And so this is his argument and this is his program to prove. We see that God went in or that Satan went into the presence of God. If we look at the book of Job, right? Job had a tough oh, life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nine children, all this wealth and all of this, and he did nothing but righteous things, right? So the Bible says in Job, in the first chapter, it says that all of the sons of God came into the presence of God to present themselves and give an account. Now, that's a that's a huge verse. I mean, that is like, OK, so this gives us a picture into what it's like to be in heaven and to be a son of God, to be an angel or whatever. It says that they came from out of his presence into his presence. So we're not all sitting there in the same room having, you know, singing hymns for eternity. They're out doing something else. And they came in to give an account of that. Okay, so they have responsibilities and there's a possibility that they're not going to do very well. So they're going to come in and give an account of themselves. This is all. It's kind of sidelined. But and the Bible says that and Satan came as well. And God asked him, where have you been? Well, that just kind of blows right. your mind, right? You know where I've been, right? Well, so he says, where have you been? And he says, I've been going about to and fro on the surface of the earth and walking about upon it. And he said, have you noticed my servant Job? And Satan then brought an accusation. He said, yeah, he's righteous, but if you touch this part of his life, he will curse you to your face, Right. His message is he will be just like me. Okay, this is the same message in the garden. God planted a garden. He put Adam and Eve in it and he put one thing, the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't that what we're yes, talking about? Exactly. The knowledge of good and evil. Can we see how important that is? Right. And so Satan tempts them by saying, you'll be like God. Well, what was Satan's sin? He wanted to be like God. Okay. Right? He wanted to be, I want to be, I will be like the Most High. And so he's told Adam and Eve, yeah, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like him and watch out because he don't like <laughs> that. <laughs> but what he's trying to prove is that these people made in the image of God are no different than me. This is so his it argument. It seems like there's this common theme in Scripture that would show that God will use... I guess, chosen evil. He will use Satan. He'll use Esau. He'll use Pharaoh. He'll use, um, you know, Judas. He'll use all these different people. And eventually it gets down to having a remnant that is walking in that, that non-robotic, self-chosen love pill, you know, that, that ecstasy, if you will, that they've decided that, no, this is my God. I love him. I want to be part of his family. I love him. And if bad things happen, think of persecution. Think of um, Stephen. Think of these martyrs dying these horrible deaths, but maintaining a countenance and a faithfulness. And as God graced them, I think that equilibrium, that, that line, the line between the robotic, autonomous, I have to because I'm programmed, praise the Lord, yada, yada, right? right. And then the chosen dear child, I would I would even take it a step further, Dan, and call it the chosen bride. That that would be very scripture. I that, guess that would, oh wow, hey, the, the scripture's way ahead of us. It, on this, it is. It is. So, what does God require then to be able to develop this bride? What is the missing piece? What does He need to be able to develop this bride 
that he's going to be able to live with throughout eternity. And this gets down to the question of the book, of the title. Why did God create this universe, and why is there evil in it? And um, my uh, succinct definition, my succinct uh, statement that I would make on that is this. God created this universe in order to give himself the best possible context within which he can demonstrate who he is in all of his maximal greatness to every other created being. Wow. So, Steve and Dan, you can beat me over the head if I'm wrong. I'll enjoy that. And I know that Dan will thoroughly enjoy doing that. Um, What you're saying, and this is what I'm gathering and what's stirring in me, is that our little piece of the universe, this big blue ball that we call Earth, is part of a bigger universe that God has chosen to demonstrate to the rest of what's created in the universe. And we don't even know what all's out there. I mean, even if you look in the book of Revelation, you got like lions with 12 and 20 eyes and all sorts of things that we've never seen or could ever conceive before. And he's chosen this little blue planet to demonstrate to everything else his magnificence and his awesome. I wish I had my Bible right here in front of me. But uh, but but that's exactly what it says. It says that he's using this planet, this context, to show all of the other created beings. Now, when I say that, I include also all men and all women. It's all people here on this planet and also everyone else, everyone else that he's ever created. Can you imagine how would God, mm-hmm. if God wanted to describe himself to the angels, how would he do that? He would just say, oh, you don't care. Come in and prepare. Can you see me? Right. Well, so, so so what if Hey, this is me? Yep, this is me. I love you. Well, what does that mean? Right. How 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 did how do we yeah, know hey. that yeah. somebody loves us if they never demonstrate that love? If there is never any context within wow. which we are both there together and they are able to demonstrate the love that they're saying that they have for us. There is nothing. Well, that's amazing. Well, Steve, when you were talking about the way that he stepped into, I mean, the scripture itself, I believe, describes him as going into the likeness of sinful flesh. And so that's amazing. Well, Steve, thank you so much. We Obviously, these are profound concepts. We could nerd on about them for hours and hours and hours. Tell us about when the book will be available and how we can get a hold of it. If I'm uh, as brutally honest as I can be, I can't really answer that fully. I can say that probably within the next six months to a year, uh, it would be available. And, and once that's available, of course, we'll uh, give some sort of direction to be able to find it. Well, yeah, please Definitely. Definitely. Glenn and I are riveted. Each time we've spoke with you, according uh, like a few weeks ago, both of us were kind of really stoked afterwards. We're like, whoa, that gets really deep. It gets really beautiful. Um, our listeners will keep you up to date when Steve wrote Tramble, good friend of ours for years. When he gets done with that particular book, we'll let you know how to get it. And just to slightly recap, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't go to church, if you are here, because we usually talk about heavy metal, we talk about all these things, what we're talking about is truth. What we're talking about is passion. What we're talking about are these basic common questions of life 
and whether there is eternity. For us, we believe that the Word of God is very reasonable. And we've done that after a lot of looking and a lot of consideration of all the other alternatives. And when you actually read the Word of God, and we encourage you, you don't have to clean up, you don't have to do any of this stuff. Just if you hear something that seems to be like a faint drawing of curiosity, that could be God moving upon you. And yes. that's what we want to see you respond by doing. If you have questions, Glenn, how would somebody reach the Get Real podcast? Sure. Uh, there's a couple ways to get in touch with us. We do have a Facebook page. Uh, the name of the Facebook page is Lithos Cry, L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y. And then we also have our uh, website and our blog that is Lithos Cry, L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y dot WordPress dot com. And you can also find us on Instagram as Lithos Cry. And all you have to look for is our cool logo, which is the dove descending from heaven and the raven coming up. There we go. Well, yeah, if you have questions or if you have a life experience you want to ask, if you have something passionate or frustrating, you have a song that you want us to react to or to, or, or to, to hear about, we'd love to hear from you. And um, I know we're going out to Ireland, the Netherlands. We're going out to a lot of different Great countries. Great Britain as well. Great Britain. Slovakia. The United States. Slovakia. Yes, Excellent. Slovakia. So we love you guys and gals. And um, if uh, it's a pleasure to be able to have this conversation with Steve Rotramble today. Glenn, it's been a pleasure as always. It has. Look forward to to the next time we get to talk. Oh